There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today we're going to be talking about innovation, but not just any old innovation. We're going to talk about the demands of innovation in the fourth industrial revolution. So let me put this up. The argument is that the demand for innovation has stepped up a gear, and that increases the pace of renewal required to just stand still. And more importantly, it takes the task of renewal to completely different new places. Leading innovation has never been easy, but it just got harder and at the same time ever more critical. And that's what we want to talk about. So what does it really take to innovate successfully in these times? How do you do it? What's your role as a leader in doing it? And how do you begin to think about the problem? So to help us with this today, we have a very special guest, Alan South. And Alan is an expert in innovation, entrepreneurship, and technology based on on 30 years of experience around the world. Currently, he's providing executive development and advisory services through his company, Ripplewood, but he's also a fellow at Said Business School in the UK. His mission is to help executives develop executives with a solid understanding of innovation and a practical execution in the context of their business. Now, what makes Alan's background is so interesting is that an important part of his career was leading the European business of IDEO, which is a renowned Silicon Valley innovation firm where he gained involvement with all sorts of innovation methods. And if you know IDEO, they've been a bit of the darling of innovation for a lot of companies. Um, he also has been uh, deeply involved in a company called Solar Century, a high-growth clean tech firm that raised over $25 million in 2007 and went on to deliver 35% compound growth. I think we'd all agree you'd like to be part of that company. So, Alan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Wanda. Um, a, a, a real, real pleasure to be on your show um, and to talk about innovation. Um, I very much see how the, the fundamental premise of your show, Out of the Comfort Zone, is all about the challenge of leading when you simply don't know the answers. And innovation is one of these things where you know, fundamentally you just can't know all the answers at the start. For example, you know, the outcome of an innovation initiative you're not going to know at the start, or the final business impact you're certainly not going to know at the start. And all of this is really in the context um, of the organization. And there are all, all sorts of good reasons why stakeholders in and around an organization, whether that's a for-profit or public service, they've all got high expectations of certainty. I think as, as we move on you know, in recent years, those expectations for certainty have gone up, not down. Um, so... The leadership challenge of, about innovation is where you're doing something where you don't know, the, don't know the answers in an environment that's expecting the answers and expecting certainty. And you know, if you like, that's one of the core reasons why innovation is 
as I said at the start, fundamentally something that is out of anybody's comfort zone and probably, probably why it happens at a lower rate than anyone in the organization really wants. You know, if you like, um, a phrase I use quite often is the sense that certainty for now trumps the potential upside for tomorrow. Um, but there, there, there's a twist. Um, there, there, there really is an extra twist right now. Um, that we're entering a new period of change. And I think this is going to end up putting higher demands upon this need for reinvention and for, for, for innovation. Um, but most critically, it, it's also meaning a change in the type of new business that needs to be created. So it's a sort of double hit, if you like. Um, the first hit is a need to renew faster than ever before. And then the second hit is to go and renew in some, you know, new and unfamiliar places. Um, so you could see that that's um, a, a, a bit of a threat. Um, I, I'm not particularly big on the, 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 the idea of threat and the innovator or, or, or die idea. Um, um, as much as anything, to be honest, I see all of this as a huge opportunity, and I'll come to that opportunity at, at the end of our show. Um, but um, I've said quite a lot to kick, kick the show off. Um, we should probably look at right. what's happening right now and why there's change and what we need to be doing about it. Yeah. I have to repeat two things that you said because I thought they were great. You said high expectations of uncertainty have gone up. And especially as I watch companies try to control risk, which means you're going to control all the potential downsides that you can think of. And that has to be a negative for innovation. It just clamps down on innovation. And you said also, I love this, that the certainty for now trumps the potential upside for tomorrow. All right. And it's faster. We all know it's faster and faster and faster. But you say that we have to renew in unfamiliar paces, places. And you also talk about the fourth industrial revolution. I'm presuming those two are tied. So what do you mean? Okay. That, that absolutely tied together. Um, so the fourth industrial revolution is, you know, is, is, is very much about technology. It has digital at its core. Um, in fact, I, I think for a long time, there were people thinking that we were quite happily working our way through the third industrial revolution. Um, that's the third industrial revolution that started in the 50s and 60s, exploded in the 80s, about all that electronics and IT stuff, um, what it's done for you know, automation and communications around the world, and that really nothing special was happening other than more of that. And then... Over the last couple of years, um, some of the real big thinkers in the world started to see something else was going on, um, and, this, the, the, and this something else is worth being called the fourth industrial revolution. Um, now, to explain what that means, um, if you like, the, the, the fancy words that are being used are cyber-physical systems, um, but I, I think plain language is, is better sometimes. And it's very much about using you know, technology to get more out of real-world assets or to make new things possible with real-world assets. Um, and to, um, you know, to, to, to give you an example, 
um, about the big thinkers. This was the 2016 theme at Davos, the World Economic Forum, um, where the theme was Mastering the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Um, so, so what's different this time and why is it yet another, you know, what, why is it, does it warrant the phrase Fourth Industrial Revolution? Well, we've all experienced the incredible changes around the world about information and communications. Um, and we're now at the start of a new journey. And that's about what can be done in the physical world using technology and that things are going to change just as much in the coming years as they have in the last 30. So, Ellen, are we talking about things like robots? Is that what you mean? Or is it beyond that? I think you know, very much you know, the idea of robots, um, you know, the, the, there's, a, there's a lot of pop, popular talk at the moment about robots taking jobs. Um, and there, there's, uh, there, there, there's, there's some truth in that. But it goes much, much, much broader. Um, let, let, me, let me give you a couple of examples. Um, it, w one whole area of examples is about where you use some information technology, IT. Um, you use some Internet of Things, that's IoT, and some machine learning, and connect them all up to the physical world so that you can get more out of existing assets. So it's using okay. smarts, if you like, smart stuff, to get more out of the physical world. Um, should I give you a couple of examples? Yeah, absolutely, because it sounds interesting, but I'm not got it grounded yet. Okay, so let me give you something that's close to my heart in power generation. Um, you know, we, we work on the idea in the modern world that you can just supply whatever power anybody wants to use so that anyone can make whatever demand they like of the power system at any time. Yeah? Yep, absolutely. So, so what if instead we had demand-side management? What if energy demand became smart? And to sort of try and ground that, um, I like your, your phrase, to, to try and ground that, let's imagine a world where you have houses or dishwashers or factories or electric cars that can all do a deal with each other. And they can do a deal with each other to share out and sequence their demand to reduce the peaks and spikes on the electricity system. Is that helpful? I got it. So, in effect, we're linking up the physical things, the houses, the cars, the dishwashers, the refrigerators, the lights, the computer systems, the buildings, so that they're connected with each other, sharing information with each other, and managing something we do in the physical world in a different way, like how, how we share power. Correct. Okay. So, you know, if you start okay. imagining the implications for this, um, that means you can probably build one less power station because you, you need enough power stations to deal with the peak demand. So you end up building one less power station, maybe many less power stations, and instead build a whole load of technical infrastructure and that allows all the, the, the communication and the deals to, to go on between, between machines. Now, that's great news if you happen to be in the smart infrastructure business. 
mm-hmm. um, is less good news if you happen to be in the power station business. Um, and when I said the fourth industrial revolution might require companies to start innovating in new spaces, a power um, a power generation and distribution business might need to figure out how to become a, an Internet of Things and um, smart infrastructure business in order to move forward successfully through the fourth industrial revolution. So this is beyond data accumulation that everybody's in love with talking about and now tarting, starting to say what things need to be communicating with what other things and sharing what information in order to change the way we do stuff. Correct. Okay. Now, do things like Uber fit into the same kind of, or is that a separate model? I I think Uber fits, personally, I think Uber fits um, very much into into that model. Um, You know, Uber is helping us as humanity get more out of the cars that we have. Okay. It's using, it's using technology connected into the physical world to allow us to do things in a new and, and a new and more efficient way. Okay. All right. So before I ask another example, every client I am talking to is in love with the phrase going digital. Going digital, going digital, going digital. I'm not convinced that many of them know what that means, but is that what you're talking about by the fourth industrial revolution, or is it a step beyond just going digital? Um, I think that um, the the fourth industrial revolution is absolutely what going digital ought to mean. Um, In many organizations that I speak with, um, I'm not seeing the real level of both threat and opportunity of going digital being fully grasped yet within within corporations. Um, but it's coming. Okay. Okay. All right. So I'd agree with that one, that we've got a lot of exploration. There's a temptation here to say, well, fourth industrial revolution, Internet of Things, um, that's just one big thing, one more big thing. And so all we need to do is put our energy around one big thing. Is that the right thing to do or is it something else? Oh, boy. Yeah, I, I know exactly where you're heading um, with, 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 with this. Um, you know, I think there are an awful lot of organizations that are seeing this as a huge threat. Um, and going back. Thank you for bringing up Uber. Um, I think Uberization is is becoming a very popular metaphor for threat. Mm-hmm. Um, and some organizations take the view, well, if there's a huge threat, then what you need is one huge response. Do you see where okay. I'm Yeah, I gotcha. Need one. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a huge threat. Therefore, we've got to do something really big and one singular thing that fixes the huge threat. Um, and it's so much the wrong thing to do. Um, and I, I think I'd link, like to link back to the premise of your Out of the Comfort Zone show. Um, I think that you know, single huge responses are just fine when you know what you've got to get done and how you're going to do it. The one big thing is, when you are, is, 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 is perfectly okay when you're square in the comfort zone, not out of it. Um, now, I think for 
all of this stuff around the fourth industrial revolution, um, you know, there is consensus without doubt there's going to be major change. But exactly on that there is not consensus on exactly what the major change will be or how or where or when. So, you know, the challenge is to innovate without knowing. And innovating without, you know, when you don't know, almost certainly is not the one big bet. Got it. All right. So I love this. This is uh, fits together very nicely. So let me see if I can summarize this argument, Ellen. Um, we've always known that change pace was the pace of change was fast and that we needed to innovate and that you would argue you need to innovate to stand still. And none of that has changed. It's just changed in scope dramatically. So with the fourth industrial revolution, it's now not just about data or just about going digital. It's about the ways in which physical things start communicating with other physical things in order to create smarter ways in which we use the physical world. So Uber, as an example, smarter ways of cars talking to some central switchboard that allows us to get more out of the cars that we have or power stations, as we earlier talked about. What that means is we know that it's going to be dramatic change, but we have no idea what it really looks like anywhere, when it's going to come, how fast it's going to come, what the real opportunities are. So trying to place a single one bet can be an absolute disaster that can work when you know what you need to do and how you need to get it done when you're in the comfort zone, but not facing this fourth industrial revolution. So that then requires we need a whole new approach to innovation and a bit of a different approach to leaders of innovation as well. Fair summary, Alan? That is a fair summary indeed. Okay. Well, then, at that point, let's take a break. And when we come back from the break, I want to focus on, so what does innovation in this new world need to look like? And what does that mean we need to do as leaders? With me today is Alan South. As you can tell, Alan is deeply steeped in this whole notion of innovation and changes in the world that are coming. His mission is to develop executives with a solid understanding of innovation and its practical execution in their business. Formerly with IDEO, running the European part of the business, and also with Solar Century, and now he is doing executive development and advisory services. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. 
Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Alan South, and I'm going to give Alan a new label. I'm going to call him the Innovation Guru. Alan has spent a lot of his career with leading the European business of IDEO and also as a senior executive at Solar Century, a high-growth clean tech firm. He's now doing executive development and advisory services through his company, Ripplewood, and also with the Saeed Business School. So we were just talking about the fourth industrial revolution and the ways in which that is going to completely change how we begin to think about the physical world and the technology world merging. And there have been a number of examples in that first segment. Just as we were wrapping up that segment, Alan said that lots of organizations see this as a threat. And the temptation with a threat is that you have one big, huge response. And that's fine when you know what needs to get done and how to do it. In effect, when you're in the comfort zone, there is nothing about the fourth industrial revolution that anybody knows is in the comfort zone. What to do it, how to do it, where to do it, when to do it, what it means, when it's going to mean it, and so on. So in effect, you're innovating without knowing. Now, what fascinates me about this is I am intrigued, constantly intrigued and reminded how much control – The notion of being in control, controlling, managing, navigating, monitoring, managing risk, all of those words are steeped into our language of leadership. And so we want to control the threat, if you will, of the fourth industrial revolution or uberization or whatever. I find that fascinating. So, Alan, if you say that there's not one big thing, what is it that we need to do instead of one big thing? I think um, a phrase I'd like to use um, is that of cumulative incremental gain. And and this phrase is is starting to to really get some traction and popularity in in, in the business press. So we left off in the last segment by saying, well, maybe you shouldn't be doing, you know, it's it's foolish to try and go after the one big thing in response to the change coming up with the fourth industrial revolution. That means you've got to do a little thing. But somehow, over time, you need to get from having a little thing um, to getting to having a big response because there's, there's, there's a lot of change that will be needed in the coming years. So let me break it into two pieces. The first piece is about something called incremental gain. Incremental gain is about making some small improvements to performance or profitability. And what's very relevant for the fourth industrial revolution, making small steps into new business areas. Um, 
I, I was minded listening to you wrapping up the last session, um, the last segment, that um, actually all sorts of companies, um, like a water company I'm working with right now, will need to become a digital company in the coming years. That's pretty uncomfortable um, if you're a water company. Um, so I, I think making lots of small incremental gains is a very healthy form of innovation. Um, and, and many of the, the modern ideas around innovation, like lean startup, design thinking, they're all about starting small. Um, and I, I think we should be celebrating this idea of start small, build something big. Um, and um, I often find there's a lot of popular prejudice against this form of innovation that you know, only the big stuff counts. Do, do you see mm -hmm. that yourself? Oh, all the time. Everybody believes that we need the big and huge. If it's not large enough to begin with, then let's not call it innovation. It isn't relevant and not waste our time on it. Yep. And you know, I am fed up of hearing the word game changer. Yeah. Okay. Can we, have a, can we have another game changer, please? But all of this little stuff is fine, but we need to make it big somehow. And the word that I used is this word cumulative. And the word cumulative changes everything. And what I mean about this is let's imagine that all these little incremental gains build up upon each other in layers upon layer upon layer. Um, and I, I think that's very much the secret of, of, of innovating when you don't know where you need to go. Okay, so when you're not talking about um, we have a game plan that we're going to get from A to B, and we're going to make small incremental steps and layer them on top of each other. You're talking about not knowing where B is, but starting to layer things on top of each other. Do I have that right? You have that absolutely right. And it's, um, you know, it's the fundamentals of what we call adaptive change. Make a little step, figure out what happens, make another little step that builds upon that, and gradually, bit by bit, um, that gets you from a small place to a big place. Okay. Now, presumably that means that as a leader of an organization, my role changes quite dramatically. You bet. You bet. And um, I, I think the, 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 best way, the best way that I can frame how that changes is I think that, that to succeed at doing cumulative incremental gain, or, or we'll talk about compounding if we've got time later. Um, what you need are two things, uh, that you need agility and you need direction. And okay. these, two thing, these two things are in enormous tension with each other. You need the agility to make the small stuff happen, bit by bit by bit, and, but you also need the direction that comes from the executive um, committee or the board of an organization that steers all those pieces so they've got a reasonable chance of um, stacking up together in the right way for the firm. And this is an act of delicate balancing that quite often is elusive for, 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 some, for some leaders. You don't know where B is, to use your analogy, so you can't say go there, um, but 
Um, and you've got to allow a lot of this stuff to happen without knowing what the end result's going to be. Okay. So what then does direction look like from an executive committee when I can't say we're going to be, and certainly we don't want to give some ambiguous direction like we want a 20% growth in profits or something. What does direction look like? So d- d- direction, I, I think the, the, a, a phrase I use sometimes to, 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 to help with this is I think the right kind of strategic direction is enough direction to foster the entrepreneurial spirit within the organization. Um, I hear a lot of very senior leaders wish, you know, ask that, say that, you know, if, if only we had more entrepreneurial spirit in our organization, it would be better. Um, and I think that, that just a little bit of direction has a lights up the entrepreneurial spirit. Um, but that needs to be not too much direction that it then kills it. Uh, um, right. And I, I, I think the, um, the, the, the language of adaptive leadership provides us with um, a, a useful phrase, which is it's not telling anybody what to do because you don't know, but it's about framing the challenge. Yeah. One of my favorite phrases. Where is it that we're, what is the problem that we're fundamentally trying to solve? Or where is it, what is the general sense of the opportunity that's here? And that let it be enough. Yep. Again, we bump into this challenge with my job is supposed to control and to direct, as in I know where to go and what to do, and therefore we're going in that direction. Here we are again. Okay? Yep. All right, so adaptive leadership, totally agree with you. All right, so you said now the role of the leader is really holding intention two distinctly different things. Agility, which is the little tiny small stuff, not telling people enough about what to do, framing the challenge and so on, and just enough direction that it ignites the um, entrepreneurial spirit. Now, is there any chance you can give us a concrete example about that? Of a company that's done it very well? Yeah, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, one that, I, that always comes to my mind um, is Singapore Airlines. I don't know if you've traveled with them yourself. I do, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you, know, you, you travel on Singapore Airlines, and um, you would think that they invest all their budget in service quality um, and um, you know, a, a, with cost no object. But they're also an industry cost leader. Singapore Airlines, um, and they, they've got to this huge position of strength. Uh, they, they are, I think, the most profitable long-haul airline in the business, um, and that's a business where zero margins are not uncommon. Right. Um, and Singapore Airlines have, have done no one big thing at all. Um, what they've done over the last 20, 30 years is simply to take all these little ideas and build them up one layer at a time to get to the position where it's actually pretty hard to imagine an airline knocking Singapore Airlines off top spot. Yeah. 
I know I routinely get queried by the various airlines that I fly on regularly, and they always say, who's your favorite airline? And I always respond with Singapore Airlines. I'm sure they don't appreciate that, but it's the truth. Their service is incredible. It's amazing. It's easy. It's seamless. And it doesn't even feel like it's a big deal. And But if you were asked to say, what's the one big thing that Singapore Airlines have, have done? I don't think there's anything there. It's all about dozens of tiny things, um, both about okay. excelling in service quality, um, but also excelling in cost leadership. And they, okay. they managed to balance these two things off brilliantly against each other. Great. So, oh, okay. If I could add just one. Yeah, please. The, the one big thing that Singapore Airlines have done is they have built a corporate machine to be able to deliver on this year in, year out, layer upon layer upon layer. Okay. And that's, that's the magic that they've, that, that they've achieved. Okay. All right, so cumulative incremental gain. We get the incremental gain part. I'm getting a sense of the cumulative, and then it's just layering one piece on top of one piece on top of another piece. Is there any, and you said it's agility and direction, are there any other secrets that are going to make this cumulative part really function? Well, the, the other secret, and um, you know, perhaps um, I think it's useful to think about what Einstein called the eighth wonder of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I Einstein said that compound interest was the eighth wonder of the world. And as we all know, when we're saving for pensions or whatever, whatever it might be, um, the one thing that's needed in order to get the benefits out of compound interest is patience. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something. I don't know how you find it, Wanda, but I find that's a commodity that is sometimes in very short supply in the corporate world. Rare, I would argue. Yep. And, um, you know, so, so all the natural forces that exist within a corporation um, act against the things that are required to make cumulative incremental gain happen. Okay. So give me an example of the kind of forces you think. We've already talked about risk and the controlling of risk. Yep. So um, the, 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 the other one is on the agility side. Um, mm-hmm. You actually need some uncontrolled bottom-up increment, incrementalism to happen. <laughs> Great. And you've already said a number of times on, on, this, um, on, on this show how um, you, know, you mentioned the word uncontrolled, yep. and that feels like quite a problem. Yep. Um, but for, for what it's worth, I, I completely understand how a large part of any corporation, the majority of any corporation, should be quite command and control. Um, mm-hmm. And th- there's, there's lots of reasons why... Um, you know, part of the corporation benefits from making everything as predictable as possible. Yep. Um, 
And the, 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 there are some East Coast academics who call this the performance engine. Mm -hmm. um, it's mm -hmm. sometimes called business as usual, which I think is slightly derogatory and unfair. Um, but this is um, the performance engine. It's what delivers the profits within a, within a company. But there needs to be a piece, of a, a piece of the company that works in a diametrically opposite way, in a much that, that's controlled in a completely different way. Um, that's about the business of the future. Okay. And that is attention. Right. Um, and um, you know, one of the acts of leadership is about figuring out how to resolve that tension between the business of today that demands control and repeatability and predictability with the business of the future, which is about trying out new things and getting them to build themselves up in layers. Okay. All right. So, Alan, I think one of the truths about leadership that we do not talk about nearly enough is this notion of duality, versatility, if I use Rob Kaiser's framing. But basically, I believe leadership asks you fundamentally to hold two diametrically opposite things in um, the right balance. So at times being forceful, demanding, uh, not taking no for an answer, and at times being quite gentle and enabling. Um, at times being focused on growth, 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 and at times being focused on operational efficiency. And here we have with you, I have to be focused on both the, the attention of the agility and the direction. And I have again here this notion of control and control in a totally different way that isn't going to feel like control at all. Yep. And I think... Okay. You know, please go ahead. I was going to say, so you have this view that the CEO's job is not about innovation. So what is the CEO's job? Is it this tension? I, well, I think the, C, the CEO's job is to, um, is, is to look at these tensions within the organization and to um, check that for a particular set of business circumstances that those tensions are being held in the right balance. Okay. And almost certainly that will mean um, having some executives wanting to do completely different things to some other executives. <laughs> of course, and all the jealousies and everything that go with it. <laughs> yep. Okay, and the personalities and everything along the lines. All right, now, I can't resist coming back to IDEO. I've been a student of IDEO for a while. I really am fascinated with what I understand of how it works and worked in the past. But it strikes me that what you're saying here is very much the way IDEO functioned. So some input, some agility in where we get that input from a whole broad range of ideas, a lot of flexibility in terms of small incremental pieces and then accumulate those incremental pieces to some ultimate design work that is new, different, effective. Is that a fair summary or not? I think, I think that is indeed a fair summary. And um, you know, I, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I look, I, remain a friend of IDEOs, I look on at them, and you know, they have continued to build up their, 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 their capabilities and their, their, their brand as an organization, layer upon layer upon layer. You know, I, I left 10 years ago, and I'm just amazed at what they've achieved in, in, in building up
building up this reputation in exactly the way I've been describing. Um, okay. It's, they, they have a, a relentless hunger for continually building new things upon an already very strong foundation. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to take a break again, but let me see if I can summarize the ideas from both segments. Number one, it's a new world in that we're calling it the fourth industrial revolution. We have no idea what it's going to actually achieve, but we know that it will achieve things in, in things we haven't even thought about before around digital and the interface of digital and physical things. That means that innovation has to take a whole new turn. When we don't know where we're going, we don't know what the future is exactly going to look like, you can't place a bet on any one big thing because you don't know what that big thing looks like. So you're completely out of the comfort zone. That means that the only way to do effective innovation is a thing that Alan calls cumulative incremental gain. Do a lot of little things and get them to layer on top of each other one by one by one in a way that they stick and that it actually ultimately leads to something that is big and effective and hopefully not copyable. Now to do cumulative incremental gain as a leader, that means you need to hold some tensions, the tension of both agility, the small stuff, on the small stuff and a bit of direction. Not too much direction so that you kill the entrepreneurial spirit. Not too little direction so that people don't know where they're going. A couple of examples along the line. And then it, what that allows you to do is to take advantage of compound growth. All right? Good summary. So, Alan, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to get your top couple of tips for leaders, not necessarily CEOs, who are trying to think about innovation in this fourth industrial revolution. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? 
live Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Alan South. Alan spent a bulk of his or a lot of his career at leading the European business of IDEO and then as a senior executive in Solar Century, a high growth clean tech firm. Try to say that five times in a row. Today, Alan spends his time helping companies and leaders understand what it means to innovate, create entrepreneurship, and use technology. We've just been talking about the fourth industrial revolution, the impact that that's going to have on businesses, and the fact that while it's going to be massively different, we have no clue exactly what it's going to look like. In effect, we're going to be out of our comfort zone from beginning to end. You still need innovation and you need a lot of it. So the only way to innovate in a world that is changing rapidly is by cumulative incremental gain. Small little things that add up and layer on top of each other and compound on top of each other piece by piece by piece. We've been talking about the role of the CEO and the executive team as holding some tensions in balance like agility with direction so that you don't get one out of balance and also the performance engine of the company in balance with this sort of cumulative incremental grain part of the organization. So, Alan, I want to now turn for the average leader of a business unit or an entity within a big organization who's not the CEO and if I want to start looking at how I get cumulative incremental gain within that part of the organization, what's your best pieces of advice? Okay. Well, let, let me you – know, I, I think I'd like to kick off with some basics around innovation, and, and I'll okay. justify why I, I want to do the basics in a moment. But um, let, let's just go through the basics. Um, I think – Absolute number one is be very clear about the likely source of increased future profits. Innovation is about spending the company's money now for some upside later. Um, It doesn't always work, so you need a risk premium. And I I have to say of the, the hundreds, maybe the thousands of innovation proposals I've seen over the years, They've all been great proposals for spending money. And they ought to be proposals for making money. So let's just get that bit clear in there. Okay. Second one, and you you mentioned IDEO before, is that we've already said innovation involves a whole load of uncertainty. Therefore, a good innovation project is one that resolves and sorts out that uncertainty in the least time and at the least cost, um, which also plays back to you know start small and build up from there that we've been speaking through through the show. 
Oh, I love that. I have to stop on that one, Alan, for a second. This, so this is an interesting. The first one is that your proposal for innovation shouldn't be about how you spend the money. The proposal should be about how you're going to make money at the end of the day, somewhere down the line in the future. The second one, though, I think is really interesting is that there is uncertainty, but what we need is a process, a step-by-step for resolving the uncertainty in the least amount of time and the least cost. And that just means being wise about what we do first, incremental cumulative gain. Yeah? Correct. Okay. Um, Okay. you mentioned IDEO earlier. They, they, they're truly the masters at figuring out how to resolve a ton of uncertainty in a very small amount of time and at, at, at low cost. Um, and you may have come across um, movements like Lean Startup, and that's also mm-hmm. that speaks. I, I would urge all corporate entrepreneurs to read Lean Startup. Um, next point is. Um, in a, you know, good innovation is about you know, solving a real problem or, um, or better still, satisfying an unmet need. And um, you know, it's very easy. I, I see so many innovation initiatives where the, the leader has been seduced by something that interests them. And you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's good to have some passion and some, uh, and some enthusiasm. But a huge cause of failure in innovation is solving a problem that just isn't there or where there isn't an unmet need. You know, so ascertaining you know, what is the unmet need and does it exist? Mm-hmm. So those would be my three absolute basics. Um, it's a funny, Ellen. So I'm going to go back years in my history. I used to teach marketing in an MBA program ages, ages, ages ago. And don't ask me how many. And one of the banes of all marketing is trying to market a product that you have a product, but you don't have the market for. And I used to always say that is a product in search of a market as opposed to a market in search of a product. And that's exactly what you're saying. So good innovation has to be trying to solve a problem or satisfy an unmet need, not just because it's something interesting and cute and maybe profitable. And okay. you, know, you, you know far more about marketing than I'll, than I'll ever know. Um, I think that um, you know, um, finding a market for a product is probably 10, if not 100 times harder than making a product for a market. Yeah. I think, yeah, I'd agree with that statement, absolutely. Okay. Um, now, sort of moving a little bit more into... You know, this whole thing about cumulative in- incremental gain and the, the wider co- corporation. Um, in most cases, if you're going to do an innovation project as a you know as a as a, a mid to see, you know mid level senior manager within a within a company, you're probably going to need the capabilities of the rest of the firm before you can turn that that idea into money. Um, so fundamentally, you can't just innovate with your little idea in a vacuum, you've got to do it collaboratively across uh, and, and engage the rest of the firm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's the way in which you can, you can get uh, a, you know, a, a deep customer insight and some very inventive solutions to actually turn into money and profit for the organization. And you know, all of this may seem incredibly basic, but you would not believe the number of times I have to... <clears throat> Gently remind, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, gently remind people that these these sort of things are important. 
Okay. Okay. All right. And you say also this whole importance about being patient. So, you know, how patient? What's patient enough? Yeah, I, I, I think that um, the, the, the question of patience plays back to something you said earlier in the show, Wanda, which is um, there's a tension. You know, if, if you're too patient, you can just let projects drift on and you never get anywhere. Um, and if you're not patient enough, you try and force fit some answers. And it's, about man- it's absolutely about managing that tension. All right. So we come back again to the notion that the job of the leader, the successful leader, is the one that's going to manage the tensions on a whole host of things. All right. Any last thing you want to say? We've got about two minutes to close. Okay. So I'd like to say something about patience. And the Uh old, old saying, I think, is so true, that there's a tendency to overestimate what you can do in a year and underestimate what you can achieve in five and that, in some ways, summarizes much of what I've been saying on the show. Second thing is all of this probably feels a little bit scary to some organizations. But if you can build a capability to make new business happen fast and build it up in layers, that capability is pretty hard to copy. So if you look at Singapore Airlines or IDEO, the two companies we we spoke about earlier, you could try and copy them, but really the magic of those companies are the internal capabilities for doing new stuff. And I think that in many ways is what the modern equivalent of sustainable competitive advantage really means. And my third and final point about came to my mind earlier in the show about growth. Growth is really uncomfortable. I've been involved in high growth businesses that have been doubling in size every couple of years, and it feels uncomfortable and almost a bit of a failure on a day-to-day basis. It's only when you look backwards that you think, wow, we've just doubled in size again. Um, So those nice, smooth curves only look smooth in hindsight. The actual process of growth is fundamentally uncomfortable. Okay. It's um, fascinating, Alan, this whole notion about the uncomfortableness of growth. And I love your idea that you look out in five, which you've accomplished, as opposed to being focused on what do we do this quarter to quarter. Again, a bit of attention that you have to hold in balance as a leader. This notion, too, that you build capability within the organization and that does become your competitive advantage from is news to me or wonderful news to my ears because it really means we have to focus on the capability of the human beings, and that's also fabulous. So with me today has been Alan South. Alan, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Pleasure we- likewise. We've been talking about the fact that one big new thing is not going to get you into the future, especially in the fourth industrial revolution, and that the secret – to success and to innovation is around cumulative incremental gain. Ellen, it's been great. Join us next week. We're going to continue the theme with Joe Badaruco talking about how do you deal with areas of gray. Again, that notion of um, uncertainty and how do you begin to think about coping with the uncertainty that's present. See you next week. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. 
Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.